Welcome everyone to the Grinded Podcast. Nipsey Hussle is going to bring us in just a little bit with Grinding All My Life. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Want a slice, got the roll of dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look. It's time to hit this rail we call life and grind it. Welcome back to the Grind It Podcast, and again, I just want to say thank you for uh, watching, if you're watching on YouTube or listening online or on your phone, and uh, I just want to pray that God blesses you uh, as you listen, that you grow closer to Jesus through the breaking down of the book of John, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and you, you're not comfortable sharing your faith Share, share with them this podcast because I, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit would penetrate uh, deeper than their heart and, and, and God's word does not go forth void. And you can use this as a tool to witness to your friends and your family. And uh, breaking down the book of John, uh, John is a great gospel, an easy gospel, uh, and it would introduce them to Jesus. And I'll be praying along with you that they would give their their, their heart and soul to Jesus. Uh, today we're going to start John chapter 12. And in John chapter 11, we had the, the raising of Lazarus. Uh, he was in the tomb for four days and, and Jesus waited on purpose for Lazarus to die. And then he and his disciples go to Bethany and he raises Lazarus on that fourth day. And that would forever change his ministry, uh, well, the way he did public ministry. Um, matter of fact, it would almost cease uh, because he he goes off into the wilderness, uh, well, near the wilderness to a place called Ephraim, and he hangs out there with his disciples for a while and until it was about to be Passover. And he would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover one last time with his disciples and that would he would actually become the passover lamb and you can read all about that uh the passover and the passover lamb and how that got started in exodus chapter 12 but paul says in first corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 that jesus is our passover lamb he was the the sacrifice that was the the one and for all sacrifice his blood washes away our sins it was nothing that out of all the animals the millions of animals that were sacrificed under Judaism and all the way through the Old Testament, even up until the death of Christ on the cross, none of those animals could wash away sin. They only covered sin. But Jesus, Jesus' blood would wash away our sin. And he knew his time was coming and, his, and it was coming fast. And so he, he hangs out in Ephraim for a little while, but then he's going to be invited to back to Bethany to Lazarus's house because they're going to cook a meal to honor Jesus. But little did they know their friend Jesus would be dead by the end of the week. Um, it was six days before the Passover celebration began when Jesus and his disciples traveled back to Bethany to hang out with Martha, Mary, and Larry. I mean, not Larry, but Lazarus. Jesus knew what was coming in a few days. He knew that he was facing the cross uh, and it would be the most horrific torture of death a person uh, could experience. He had told his disciples on several occasions that this was coming, but they just didn't get it. Even after his death, burial, and resurrection, in, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus 
is uh, hanging out with his disciples after he's been resurrected. And they're asking, Lord, when is the power going to be restored back to Israel? And when are we going to defeat these Romans? They, they just they didn't get it until the Holy Spirit falls them, on them in Acts chapter 2. And then, then they, they get it. But Jesus is at, at the house of, of, of Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus, uh, as I said, because they had prepared a meal to honor him, maybe for what he had done to Lazarus because he had raised him from the dead. But John mentions something, and I believe there's a, a specific reason why John mentions this. But he mentions that Lazarus is at the meal and that he did eat. You see, because a, a, a dead person doesn't need food. A dead person doesn't eat because they're dead. They can't eat and they have no need for food and i i think that that john specifically mentions that lazarus is at that meal and that he did eat because he is proving to us hundreds and hundreds of years later almost two thousand years later that jesus had raised lazarus from the dead and there was no denying it the religious leaders couldn't deny it the people that saw it could never deny it and people knew that Lazarus had been dead for four days there was no denying what Jesus had done through this miracle and raising Lazarus from the dead so John in my opinion is confirming that Lazarus is actually here he's actually eating food he is alive Jesus actually did this and there's no denying it and so in walks Mary, yes, Martha's sister, Mary, with a bottle of lard. I mean, not lard, but nard. A bottle of nard. A very strong perfume, if you will. And she takes this 12-ounce jar of nard. It's, back then, it was worth around $50,000-ish in American money. And she pours this nard on the feet of Jesus. And then she takes her hair and begins to wipe his feet, meaning the, the nard would get all infused in her hair. It'd be on her, on her face. It'd be on her shoulders. And, and John points out in this passage, in John chapter 12, that the smell just went through the whole house, is what he says. Very, it's very, very strong. But Jesus makes mention uh, that... Mary has done this because of his his uh, to prepare him for his burial because uh, Judas and yes it's that Judas Judas Iscariot the one who would betray Jesus uh, for thirty pieces of silver here in, in just a few days Judas was upset because he said that money could have been sold and uh, or that nard could have been sold and for a lot of money and that money given to the poor and we'll come back to Judas in just a little bit because Judas didn't care about the nard he didn't care about the poor. He cared about the money. And, and like I said, we'll come back to Judas here in just a little bit. But Jesus tells uh, uh, Judas and all the disciples, and anybody that was in that room that evening, that Mary had done this to prepare him for burial because he knew what was coming in just a few days, within six days. And, and the disciples didn't understand it, even though Jesus had told them on several occasions, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again. And, and they didn't get it. 
Um, but here is Mary. She is, is washing his feet with this nard and, and, and washing his feet with her hair. And, and this nard would be getting all over her. And, and I, I just, I can't help but wonder, you know, how did Mary know to do this? Because it doesn't say the Holy Spirit inspired her to do so. It does, the Bible doesn't say, well, you know, that, you know, God commanded her to do it. No angel showed up and said, hey, go, go bust, you know, go pour this uh, nard over the feet of Jesus and, and prepare him for his burial. Nobody told her to do that, but she did it. And you know, the Bible doesn't say how Mary knew uh, but she did that to prepare Jesus for his burial, whether it was by inspiration of the Holy Spirit or whatever. But but it, this is a really cool thing, and, and, I, and I believe it, it, it's significant. But I want to come back to that smell. It, the, nard would be a, a, a very, very sweet-smelling perfume, and, and John says that it permeates the house. And you got to remember, Mary had poured this 12-ounce jar on the feet of Jesus, and it's and it's all. She used her hair to wipe uh, the nard on his on his feet, and so it would be all over her face. It'd be on her clothes, and so this smell would would stick with Mary for several days, perhaps even weeks. Uh, and whoever was in that house, they would have smelled that sweet smell of that nard, and even with the. That smell could have possibly stayed on the feet of Jesus when he was crucified in just a few days. And when Jesus was crucified, and what they did with, with people that crucified criminals, but Jesus was no criminal. He never did anything wrong. He was wrongly accused, and he was crucified. And we all know there's a reason why he was crucified. But when they would crucify people, they would nail them to the cross and lift them up and then put them on public display outside the city gates. So people could walk by, and it's it's a way of humiliating the people who were who were being crucified. And we know from the gospel accounts that people would walk by Jesus, and they would curse at him. They 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 would you know walk by in disbelief, and the Bible says they're just wagging their heads because they thought, well, you know, we thought you were the Messiah, and they're saying things like, well, if you were the Messiah, then come down from the cross, save yourself. You know, and you got the the the, uh, the real criminals on the right and the left, and they're saying, you know, yeah, save us too. You know, get us off this cross if you're really the Messiah. But my point is, when Pete, if if that smell of that nard stayed on the feet of Jesus, and he is being crucified, and when those people would walk by, they would smell that nard. They would smell that sweet smell of that nard. Well. Why am I making such a big deal out of this nard and this smell? Well, it, you know, if it's all over Mary, and it would be on there for weeks, at least days, if not weeks, the disciples would have smelled it in the house. Anybody that was in that house or outside of the house would have smelled this nard. And if people walked by and smelled the nard when they uh, when Jesus was crucified and hanging out there on the city gates, here's my point. Here's what I'm trying to get to. Smells take us back in time to a specific event that happened in our life. I'll, I'll give you, uh, for, an, uh, for, uh, for instance, for an example. When, when I was a teenager, I, I worked in a little mom-and-pop grocery store. It had about five aisles in it. And uh, I probably worked there maybe six years total in my life. And I remember... One time that we were cleaning the, we, we had, after the store closed, we had to stay after work 
and wash the floors, uh, strip the floors, and then wax the floors. But my problem was and still is, I go to bed early. I've always gone to bed early. I'm 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 a morning person. I'm not a night person. Uh, I I get sleepy. I, you know, even t- today I go to bed at seven eight o'clock because I have to get up early for work. But even when I was a teenager, I never had a curfew because I was most of the time I was in the bed by ten o'clock, asleep in the bed by ten o'clock, ten thirty at the latest, and. And so here we are. We had to stay over at the store one night to to do these floors to clean and wax wash, to strip and wax these floors. And I was getting sleepy, and so my boss took it as the the store owner. He took it as I didn't want to be there, and he was getting so mad and so angry, and he thought I was just dragging around because you know I just didn't care nothing about being there. But that was not the case. It was just that that I, I couldn't stay awake. And I was trying my best to stay awake because I'm I'm used to going to bed at ten o'clock and I'm having to stay up all night long, you know, because we're trying to strip and wax these floors and get it ready so the store can open up the next morning. Well, he got so mad at me that he sent me home, and just told me to go home and go to bed, which is what I did. And that so that must have made a huge impact on me because, uh, and I was like sixteen, seventeen years old. Well. And I have a little Debbie route in East Knoxville, and I've got three Kroger's and some other grocery stores. And Kroger will oftentimes uh, strip and wax their floor. And uh, every time, it never fails, every time that I walk into a store and they had just stripped and waxed their floor, and as soon as I get a whiff of that smell, I mean, just as soon as it hits my nostrils, I am taken back, what, 32 years I'm in time to when I was 16, 17 years old to when, I mean, I can almost remember every detail of that night and having to, to, uh, strip those floors and eating up our shoes and, 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 you know, then letting that stripper sit for a few minutes, then having to mop it and, and, you know, and get it all up and get it prepared to be, to be waxed and my boss getting mad at me. But I can remember, I can remember it almost like it was yesterday because that smell it instantly takes me back to when I was 16 years old, 17 years old, and I'm 48 years old now. And, and, and I think, this is just my opinion, but I think that when they smell that nard that evening, and Jesus said, this is to prepare me for my burial. And they, at the time, they didn't know what he was talking about. But I think after Jesus was crucified on that Friday and then put in that tomb, Friday, Saturday, and he come out of that gra- out of the grave on Sunday morning and was resurrected. I think that every time that Mary or the disciples or whoever was in that house that smelled that nard that was associated with Jesus and saw his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection, I think every time down the road when years had passed, every time they smelled that nard. Well, just a quick, you know, if they were going into uh, into the agora, the marketplace, or going into somebody's house, or in their own home, or whatever, every time they smelled nard, they were instantly taken back to the cross. Let's take a break. My name is Dinah Grace Hawk, and I started a movement of empowerment. I focus on Revelation twelve eleven, which states that we will overcome, conquer, and defeat him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we will not love our own lives, even unto death. 
See, sharing testimony squashes pride. It empowers, it strengthens, it encourages, and it heals. This whole movement is focused on sharing our testimony, our walk with the Lord, how He's using us in this life to empower others to do the same. By doing this, we will overcome anything that this world can throw at us because we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Every week from now till the end of the year, I'll be highlighting a different woman in the ministry and they're going to share their testimony. Tune in every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern, either on Facebook or Instagram at Dinah Grace Hawk, and you get to be a part of this movement too. I'll see you there. So John points out, and I think there's a reason why he points out that that, that the smell of that nard was all over the house, and anybody that was in that house would know that smell, and they would have smelled that smell, and it's all over Mary uh, from where she had washed the feet of Jesus with her hair, and so she would really be able to smell it. And anybody that walked by the cross, if that smell was still on the feet of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross, they would be able to smell that nard. And I believe since, you know, smells take us back in time to an event that happened in our lives. And, and I believe that uh, there's a reason why John makes such a big deal out of this nard and the smell of it. And I think that uh, when, when Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and resurrected and he was gone back to heaven, that any time that anybody that was in that house that was associated with the crucifixion, I think that they would be carried back in time to the cross, to the moment. And what Jesus said, this was for my burial. That's why Mary is doing this. And they would remember Jesus and what he had done for them. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 Paul says, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Here's a question for you. What do people smell when they're around you? No, I'm not talking about if you if you fart or something like that. I'm talking about what, you know, if you hadn't took a shower or a bath in a week or whatever, not talking about that kind of smell. I'm talking about spiritually. You know, are people drawn to you because Christ lives in you and you, you're putting off a smell of nard? You're, you, you've been to the cross and you, you remember the cross from the smell of the nard and, and you remind people of Jesus? That's what we're supposed to smell like. We are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, Paul says. But he says, Paul says that this smell, it's, it's, not, it's sweet to Christians, people who are serving Christ, but people in the world, it's not sweet at all. They, 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 th- they think it stinks. They think Christ stinks. And if you don't believe me, just look what's going on in our world today. I mean, it, it's... It, it's perfect example just turn on the news because if you you look what's going on in our world in our society people are divided left they're over left all, all all kinds of issues but if you boil it all down to what people are divided over and what they're divided about and what they don't like they don't like christ they don't like god is what if you just boil it down to to the bare nothing they don't like God, and they hate Christ. And so Christ 
would stink to them and they don't want to have anything to do with it. So that's why Paul says, we are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. And this fragrance is perceived differently. So how do you smell to people? Try your best to smell like Jesus, to be the example of Jesus. So I want to come back to, to Judas Iscariot before we, before we move on. And I'll probably finish the, this podcast out with this, and then I'll start the next podcast with the, uh, with the same chapter in chapter 12. But there's something about Judas I want to point out here. John says that uh, Judas was the treasurer for the disciples. Now, I'm, I'm not sure why Jesus would put this dude in charge of the money because he, he, he's, he's pretty greedy. Uh, we know that he loved money because John says that Judas would get sticky fingers and, and take some money out of the, uh, the disciples' bag every now and then. And we know that he sold Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, for 30 pieces of silver. Now, John mentioned something here about Judas. He says, and this is John's words, Judas didn't care about the poor. He was in charge of the disciples' money, and he often stole some for himself. You see, Judas wanted to sell that nard for the money, not to help the poor, but to help himself. Because he knew that nard was very expensive and is worth a lot of money. And he could have grabbed a, a, you know, a big old handful of money and nobody would have ever paid attention. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. And that night, uh, of the, the, last the last supper, the, the last Passover meal that Jesus is going to uh, eat with his disciples... He told Judas, you know, you go do what you got to do. But he, and he said, one of you is a devil. You know, one of you is a murderer. And they were like, oh, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And he says, it's the one who I dipped the bread in the bowl with, which was Judas. But Jesus knew that Judas loved money. And he knew Judas was greedy. And here's the thing about Jesus. On occasions, like when he would be eating at someone's house, and there are the righteous religious leaders, the Pharisees and others. I remember in one of the stories where the Pharisee was just thinking something. And it, he was like, if, this, if he was the Messiah, if he only knew who this person was, he wouldn't be having any association with them. And Jesus calls the Pharisee out on what he's thinking. And he says it out loud so everybody can hear it. So... It, Jesus knew all about Judas. And, and here's the thing. Jesus handpicked his 12 disciples, including Judas. When the, the night of the Last Supper, before Jesus was going to be crucified by Judas, Judas has not uh, left the table yet. And Jesus grabs some water and a towel and he puts the towel around him, and he goes around and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, including the feet of his betrayer, Judas. Not one time, not one time that I know of, the Bible never mentions it, does Jesus make a public example out of Judas. And that, that's amazing to me. 
he 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 knew he was greedy. He knew he was taking money. If he knew what people were thinking and could say it out loud, what they were thinking, and call them out on it, he knew that Judas was taking money. And he never one time called him out on it. He knew that Judas was going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that was coming, but yet he still picked him to be a in his inner circle of close friends. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas had gone and sold Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver, and he brings in this little army of people with weapons to arrest Jesus. He tells this little army of people, he says, the man in whom I kiss, that's who you want to arrest. That's Jesus. And so Judas goes up to Jesus in the garden and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And this is Jesus' perfect opportunity. He, he's got all his disciples around him. And he could just go off on Judas. He could just, you greedy rascal, I can't believe you betrayed me like this and you sold me out for a little, you know, a few coins. He never did that. In fact, this is what Jesus does. He looks eyeball to eyeball to Judas, face to face, and he calls his betrayer, knowing that he is about to go through the worst punishment, the worst death, the worst suffering. Most people would die from the beating they took before they ever got to the cross. And if they made it to the cross, they didn't last very long. And they were in so much pain and agony. Jesus knew that was coming. But you know what he does? He looks at Judas eyeball to eyeball, knowing that Judas is betraying him. And he says, friend. Jesus called his betrayer friend. How? How can he do that? He, not one time. Does Jesus call out Judas? Not one time does he go off on Judas. He washes his feet in John 13. Then he calls him friend as he's being arrested and about to go through the worst death a man could go through. Torture. He shows him grace. He showed him Mercy. And let me share something that was uh, really cool. When I was preparing for this podcast, and I was typing this out, my notes, I'm, I'm listening to YouTube in the background, some worship music, and while I was listening and typing, this, this, this song came on. It's called Graves in the Gardens. And here's what the words say. Uh, it says, and still called him friend. It says, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws, Lord. You've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Jesus knows what we've done, and he still calls us friend. Jesus knows what other people have done to you, to us. But he still calls them friend. And I just said that we are the fragrance of Christ. If we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Guess what? People do bad things. People make bad choices. And sometimes it's done to us. And it really hurts. 
It, it, it digs deep. I know what it's like for a loved one who looks you right in the eyes and says, I love you. And then they do something so drastic that it hurts so bad. I know what that's like. I, I, I have fallen into a very bad depression, turned to alcohol, started getting tattoos because of something that somebody says they love me and have, they've told me that for a long time and they betrayed me. And you know what I did? I didn't do like Jesus did. I didn't show grace and mercy. I started announcing it to the whole world. I started running this individual down to anybody that would listen. And everybody, even if they didn't listen, I still let them know the hurt that this person had caused me. And it's been eight years or longer, and I'm still having problems with it. I struggle to be like Jesus, especially in this situation. So I, I know what it's like to be hurt and you, we want to put it all over Facebook and all over social media just so everybody know how sorry this individual is and what they've done. But we have to be like Jesus. We, you know, people say, you know, get over it, or they'll say, give it to God. No, it's not that easy. But God will help us or help you deal with it, deal with the situation and deal with that individual. And here's the thing. I, I, I put a post on Facebook just last night. I used to live uh, in uh, Bakersfield, North Carolina. And Roan Mountain was literally in my front yard. When you walked out on our, our front porch, you could see, I mean, that's all you saw was Roan Mountain. It was just that one big mountain. And then behind us was woods. And beside us it was woods. But we could take a 10-mile drive up to the top of Roan Mountain and when you got to the top, it, it's the Appalachian Trail. And one side's Tennessee and the other side's North Carolina. And we would take a picnic and we, we would sit sometimes on the North Carolina side, sometimes on the Tennessee side. But you could see mountains for days once you got to the top. But if you were in my front yard, all you could see was one mountain. It was just a big, huge rock. But once you got to the top of that mountain, you could see mountains for days. And here's my point. What happens when somebody hurts us and hurts us deeply? It becomes this mountain and it becomes this immovable stone, this huge mountain and so big that it's all we can see and we get focused on that mountain and we forget about the scenery that's beyond that mountain, the beauty that is beyond that mountain because we're so focused on this hurt that this person has done for us. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Pray a lot. Get in God's Word and, 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 and read about forgiveness. Read about compassion and how Jesus dealt with this. I mean, when Jesus was on the cross, He's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He's, he's, he's calling Judas friend. He's washing Judas's feet. So Jesus knows the pain that you're going through, that we're going through. And I, I, I want to challenge you to rise above the mountain. Start to climb. Go Take a drive. Take a picnic. And once you get to the top of that mountain, remember the beauty that you see. Because there, there is life beyond that mountain. 
so much light. I mean, there's so much beauty. Don't get stuck and focused on this rock and it becomes so big that it's immovable. It's, life's not worth it. Hell's not worth it. Don't hold grudges. Don't hold anger. Don't hold on to bitterness. Pray about it. Ask God to help you deal with it and begin to climb and move on. And let go the best you can and forgive each and every day. Because that's what Christ did for you. That's what Christ did for me. He forgave us. Paul says that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. I will see you next uh, the next podcast. And I pray that God will bless you and that He will give you strength to start climbing. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Grind It podcast today. You can send any questions or comments to grinditpodcast at gmail.com. Please join us next time. And when a challenge comes your way, just grind it. Been grinding all my life. Sacrifice. Hustle paid the price. Want a slice. Got to roll the dice. That's why all my life. I've been grinding all my life. Look. All my life. Been grinding all my life.